Good morning, North Wake. And it is a great uh, privilege and honor to be called a far-flung family of North Wake. Uh, Back when I was in seminary in 2005 through 2009, my wife and I, we prayed for a lot of people as they came into North Wake and then went out different places all around the world. And we never saw ourselves as being one of those. Uh, but man, what a, what a huge honor it is and a great privilege it is to be with you this morning uh, to begin your series in the book of Joshua and just to be able to share with you a little bit about also what uh, we're doing in Portland, Oregon. And so as, uh, as Jake showed you, I mainly climb trees, uh, baby sequoias, and drink lots of coffee because I'm in Portland. Um, but outside of those two things, when I'm not uh, busy doing those, uh, we, we have moved there with a core team of seven people, my wife and I, uh, seven adults, and then ten children. And we are gathering weekly um, to meet together for Bible study and preaching God's Word, uh, starting out as a small group and really just living in our city. So we have uh, landed in the southeastern part of Portland, and our goal, our purpose in being there is really just to share the love of Christ with our neighbors and our friends and those that we come into contact with, and as we build relationships, just to be able to live life there and show them uh, and also tell them about this great God that we serve. And so we thought that uh, that was the best route for our family to take, uh, to be able to live there permanently, uh, to do this as we begin a church with uh, God's you know, obviously uh, God's blessing and willingness on that. Um, but it has been a great time. We enjoy uh, gathering together as a church. We eat often. Uh, so if you come to visit us, one of the other things that we do is we have meals. Uh, and so when we gather on Sunday mornings, we have a brunch, and then we worship God together. And on Thursday evenings, when we gather as a small group, we have a meal together. Uh, so just ways that we're finding to invite, uh, like natural invitations, uh, to invite our neighbors around the table and just to eat together and be able to rub shoulders with them and show them uh, the goodness of God. And so it, we've been there for almost six months, about five and a half months. Um, we're all from other parts of the country, most of us from the southeast. And so we've spent the last half of a, a year really just getting settled and learning what it means to be a Portlander, uh, where they literally have painted on one of the sides of their buildings, keep Portland weird, right? They, they like their weirdness. Uh, they're a culture of people that rebel against everything and will pick at anything and, and, and just very quickly tell you what they agree or don't agree with. And that to us is, has actually been kind of freeing, like to find people that... If you tell them you're a Christian, they have no problem saying, that's really weird. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to do that stuff. Uh, so for us, it's been, it's been very um, encouraging in some ways. And God has been just blessing our opportunities there already with meeting our neighbors, uh, being able to share the gospel with them, having some of those people already coming in to our small group and just gathering with us. And uh, a couple of them studying through scripture, a couple of them just asking questions. Um, so I would, uh, I would ask you to please keep praying for us, uh, that we would be bold in our witness, that we would um, not be afraid to just step forward and engage in conversation with people and uh, to share freely the love of Christ with people there. And then uh, if you would pray for the people of Portland that they would see their need for a Savior and that God would be very gracious to them and show them that He 
is loving and kind and compassionate, and he desires that they should not perish, but they should have life and life eternal. Uh, so we'd much appreciate your prayers in that. Uh, well, our whole journey into church planting really began uh, a number of years back with Jen and I just kind of asking the question to ourselves, like, what does it look like to maybe take like one step, one act of obedience towards God as a family? Is there something that he's stirring in our hearts? Is there one thing that we could do? And um, it, it's led us to move into Portland uh, for our family and so it's a, a huge honor to be able to teach uh, this morning out of an Old Testament book, because if I was to stand up here and give you a lot of how does Kevin uh, obediently follow Christ, it would be a very short list and a, a long list of what not to do's. Uh, but what we get to do this morning as a family is look at Joshua, this guy who is just, he's like a stud of the faith. I mean, he has followed Jesus. He, he trusts God he is now finding himself in this situation where he's being put into leadership uh, to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River into the promised land that they've heard about for years and years and years. So we get to open up this book this morning and begin your series into the book of Joshua. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read all 18 verses. So Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord God, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise." 
And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning where we can worship you. God, we thank you for the promise that you are a God who is with us, who loves us, who cares deeply for his people. We thank you for your word this morning. Would it do its work now? Holy Spirit, would you open up our minds to understand you? Would you open our ears to hear? Open our hearts so that we might be changed to become more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his powerful name that I pray. Amen. Well, as we look at Joshua 1 this morning, one of the tenets that uh, your elders has laid out for you in the year of 2018 is that you would... uh, take a step into being more obedient uh, towards God and joyfully obedient towards our Savior. And so as we look at Joshua chapter 1, there are four things here, four uh, imperatives that if we are to be people who obediently follow God, we must have. There are four foundational pillars, if you will, that every believer must have uh, firmly cemented in their minds and living out in their hearts. We see, first of all, in Joshua, uh, the very first couple of verses says that Moses, the greatest servant and prophet who has ever lived, according to Deuteronomy chapter 34, has died. Moses, the servant of the Lord, is dead, it says in verse 2. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land that I am giving them, to the people of Israel. And then God spells this out. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread. Here's this land. Every place that your foot steps, you will have it because I have given it to you. So first and foremost, the first thing that we must know as followers, if we are to obediently follow God, is we see right here God's clear sovereignty. First of all, the the servant Moses is dead. And what has that done for God's plan? Well, it hasn't messed it up, right? Like we we would maybe tend to think when something crazy happens in our life, something gets turned upside down, right? A, a job gets uh, shifted around and we lose uh, you know, our leadership capabilities or our family is out of control or whatever the thing might be. We feel like that's the end of us and God is somehow up on his throne wondering what to do next, right? Israel is here in this kind of leadership vacuum for just a moment as Moses has died and God is completely just unflinched because he is in control. He is the one who's doing the work. And if anything, the death of Moses, his greatest prophet of all times, has actually worked to further fulfill his command. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27. It says it like this, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? 
His hand is stretched out. Who will turn it back? The understood answer is no one. No one. Job 42 verse 2 says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Speaking of God, no plan of God's can be thwarted. And then for myself, uh, maybe the most encouraging verse speaking to this in Psalm chapter 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The earth is the Lord's. We moved to Portland almost six months ago, and there's one thing that I quickly uh, found out I, I had heard before, and moving there just confirmed it. Portland is one of the most lost cities in the U.S. Almost half of the population there boldly proclaims no religious affiliation. And those numbers and those thoughts could, could easily like grip my heart, and they have at times, to make me feel like, oh man, I'm fighting like an uphill battle, right? There's no way that we're going to turn like the hearts of the people. And then I'm reminded, Satan does not own Portland. God does. The people of Portland are his to do with as he wills. God is perfectly capable, with or without me, to reach into the hearts of the people in Portland and to bring life out of dead spaces. He owns the earth. The world is his. And so the very first thing that God instructs Joshua on, and I think he would want us to hear this morning, is that he is clearly in control. There is nothing outside of his grasp or reach or understanding, but it is all his. And then God moves into this, what's probably most popular or famous in Joshua chapter 1, into this kind of like three-tiered encouragement. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Be strong and courageous, And in each of those, God is spelling out a little bit more clarity on who he is and why Joshua should be strong and courageous. Now, when you read this, uh, the temptation would be to read this and to to maybe perceive it a little more like uh, like one of the guys at a, a sporting event who leans on the fence and yells at the kids on the field, like, string, uh, swing faster, right? Throw harder. Don't drop the ball, right? You've seen those guys before, like kind of the, the guys that lean up on the fence and they just yell commands at the little kids on the field over and over. Maybe you've been one of those before. I don't know. That's not what God's doing here. He's not just yelling across the street at Joshua, be stronger. But he's more like the, the dad who walks up to his son and, and reaches around him and helps him hold the baseball bat. And as he's saying, swing harder, son, he's actually helping his son swing harder. Right? That's the picture we have of our loving God who's coming towards his people, who's doing the work, who's telling Joshua, yes, be strong and courageous, but be strong and courageous because I'm going to give you the strength and the courage. And so first of all, we see God's clear sovereignty 
Second of all, in verse six, begins the first of that three uh, core stanza there. Be strong and courageous, verse six. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Second point is God's clear call on Joshua's life. Joshua, you are to be the one who calls the people to inherit the land. Now, I'm going to give it to them, but you're going to be their leader. You're going to be the one who who does it. We see a command across all of Scripture for, uh, across Scripture for all of us as believers. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you're familiar with these passages. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In Acts here, we're commanded to be witnesses. And as you look at that word witness, and as you, as you look through the book of Acts, you, you quickly pick up on the fact that the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they are being witnesses to Jesus' life on earth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. They're always talking about those things, the gospel. They're always presenting people with the truth found wrapped up into this beautiful uh, Savior that we have. The life, death, burial, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Be a witness. And then the Matthew, the great commandment. To go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. Our great commission. Go make disciples. Teach people. Bear witness show them who Jesus is, and then teach them to follow him. Show them how to do that. Which leads us to a question for ourselves. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Are we following the clear command that God's laid on our lives to bear witness and to make disciples? What has God given you to do what specific things is he calling you to? Right? Not, not something off into the future, like after you graduate from Southeastern, or once you get the right job, or once you have the number of kids in your home that you want to have. But like, what is God burdening you with? What does he put on your heart that you just cannot get rid of? What are the things that he's pressing you towards? As believers, he's given all of us a, a clear command to bear witness and make disciples. But he's also uniquely gifted us to live out those commands in, in very neat ways across Wake Forest and the world. And so are you living those out? God's clearly sovereign. He's clearly called Joshua. Look with me at the second, verse 7. God says again, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, 
so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The third point is God's clear word. He has clearly given us scripture so that we might know him and know who we are and know whose we are and know how we can live life. He told Joshua, look, before you go, right, you're standing on the edge of the river. You can see the promised land, but don't go until you know my word. Drink deeply of me. Know my scripture. Meditate on it. Think about who I am. Don't turn to either side, but fix your gaze on my word. Know me. Meditate on my word. If we're going to bear witness, and if we're going to make disciples, if we're going to walk in this act of obedience, following Jesus, following him as he is our Lord and Savior, then we must know his word. Are you meditating on God's word? Are you studying scripture? Are you letting it rest in your heart, pushing out, weeding out the things of our lives that we need to get rid of and filling your life with more of Christ? He has clearly given us his word. And then the fourth point, the third time he repeats this phrase in verse 9, says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Perhaps the most encouraging part for me is that God is with you. He goes with Joshua, right? Joshua is called to be strong and courageous, but it is again the loving father wrapping his arms around Joshua saying, Joshua, be strong and courageous. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be the God who goes with you. We see that most clearly when he sent his son Jesus to dwell among the people, right? He came as a man. God isn't just tossing these words out flippantly like, yeah, I'm going to be with you someday. No, like he came. He took on human flesh. He died on the cross for our sins. He had the power to be raised back to life, and then he ascended only to give us what he calls a better helper, the Holy Spirit, who now, if you're a believer, dwells inside of you. And that, that is what gives us our strength and our courage. How incredibly encouraging it is to know that the, the very God who created the universe who, who flung the stars into the sky and who created everything from the, the long-necked giraffe all the way down to the, the ant is dwelling in you, is giving you power to walk in obedience according to his scripture and his commands. So God is laying all of this out for Joshua. One of the things that I, I think is just so good for us to remember 
glaringly obvious as you read this first section in Joshua is that it is all about God and his goodness and power. I mean, Joshua plays a very small role. Right? Don't let this passage be taken and twisted to mean that we somehow pick ourselves up and we go out and do the great and amazing things. It is all God. We get to just step in humble submission and obedience to his gifting and calling. So Joshua has been now given this encouragement, this kind of fourfold foundation, if you will. Remember, God's sovereign. Nothing's going to change that. He owns all of the land. He's going to give you this peace, the promised land. God's clearly called. God's clearly given his word. And God will clearly be present when Joshua goes. And so Joshua, in this next section of chapter 1, he says, you know, God, I'm just going to take a break. Let me go pray and fast over it, and I'll get back to you. No, absolutely not. He does it. He steps out in obedience, right? Starting in verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Remember, he's pointing them towards God and God's action. Verse 12, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Prior uh, to, to this time, these two and a half tribes had already been given some land east of the Jordan as their promised land, but under the condition that when it came time for the rest of Israel to move across the, the Jordan River and possess Canaan, they were to go and help. And so Moses, uh, Joshua is addressing this here, saying, remember this, right? Verse 14, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua. Look at their response. All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now I want you to notice in this passage, Joshua is, is stepping into this prophetic role and is literally like mere imaging what God just told him. And so you see, first of all, Joshua's clear calling to his commanders, to the Israelites. Hey, get ready. Go through the camp. Make provisions. We're about to cross the land. That's your job. Go do it. Be ready. Because God is going to be with you. He is going to be the one who gives you the land. He hasn't turned it, right? He hasn't said, go get ready. Strap on your swords, boys, because you are awesome and you're going to win the land. No. Go be ready. Do your calling, but know that it's God. And then secondly, 
he reminds them of God's clear word. Verse 13, again, remember the word that Moses commanded you. The Lord your God's providing you a place. He's recalling their memory back to God's scripture, basing all of his life and foundation on the word of God. And then third, and the people of Israel actually remind Joshua of God's presence. Look at the last section again in verse 16. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. In the Great Commission, all of this is summed up again for us. Where Jesus is saying, go, make disciples, baptizing, teaching them everything I've commanded you, Scripture, and know that I am with you always. God is with us. And that allows us to respond the same way the Israelites responded to Joshua. Yes, God, we will follow you. We will gladly submit to you because we know that you are sovereign, because we know that you're a good God. You've called us, you've given us your word, and you go wherever your people are. You are with us. As we've been in Portland, um, a couple things have been very clear, like I said earlier. The, the culture there is different, right? And there are things there that I could stand up here and give you some stats and make you say, oh, that's oh, poor them, you know? Like, I can't believe they have to live there. But it is a good city, and we are not suffering there. I mean, it's really good. We eat well. We drink a lot of coffee. We have a beautiful place. It's like God's little piece of heaven on earth. There's this gorgeous landscape. Uh, but it is. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of the ways, the culture is different. Uh, it tends towards things that are anti-Christian, and uh, Portlanders there are pretty proud of that. And so there are some things that as we've lived there, we've taken note of, and we've you know, been learning about how, how do we live in the land, but not be of the people, you know? How do, we, how do we bear witness for God living among the people, but not folding into all the ways of the city? And so that's getting worked out, and we're figuring those pieces out. But one of the things uh, that we've noticed is that repeated conversations are very good, right? If we can continue the relationship with someone, then we can show them, and we can tell them over and over again about our God and who we are and why we follow him. And so one of the ways that we've done that is we've tried to just pinpoint different places in our little uh, community, uh, our little part of Portland, that we can just frequent, that we can go to over and over again. Uh, so one of those is a, a coffee shop called Fairlanes. And I'll be honest, like a lot, of, a lot of mornings I wake up and I'm like, man, I get to go do this, right? Like I get to go drink coffee and, and share the gospel with people and, and study God's word. And there's a guy there, a barista that uh, I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with. And then there are some days when I wake up and I'm like, I, there's this like nervousness about me, right? Like my, my flesh takes over. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if I've got what it takes. Am I really supposed to do this? Right? It, is it going to work? <laughs> because a lot of times it doesn't. 
The people there are fairly open to spiritual conversation, but they quickly will tell you, oh, that's good for you, it's not good for me. And so do I want to be rejected today? Or do I just want to stay in my safe, you know, house? And so last week, and uh, in preparation for coming here, and we're going to drive down to South Carolina later today and visit family, I thought, you know, I need to be presentable, uh, so I'll get a haircut. And one of the places that I found in Portland uh, that I get my haircut at, I, I've been repeatedly going there uh, for the purposes of sharing the gospel and, and at the same time getting a haircut, right? And so I, I wanted to go, but at the same time, I know that the lady there that cuts my hair, uh, she's in an alternative lifestyle. She, she has a wife, and she is openly hostile to Christians. And so there's this, like, there was this rub where I'm like, all right, I, I, I want to go get a haircut. I, I, I need to go, but, man, I just I don't want to see her today. I don't want to do it. And so I did. I, I went to the, to the barber shop. I got my haircut. Uh, we're talking in there. She asked me again, like, what do you do? I think by way of just opening the conversation up so she could, like, berate me again, you know. So this time I just said, like, hey, you know who I am. I'm the guy that talks about that Jesus guy. You know, just trying to frame it in a way that maybe would catch her off guard and allow me to say, like, one more sentence before she, like, holds the shears over my head and I'm nervously sitting there, you know. It's a stress-inducing environment. And so I tell, I tell her that, and somewhere in that conversation, something began to shift. And I, I don't know what it is yet, and, and I'm, I'm praying it continues, uh, but somewhere in there, she began to share with me about her sister, who has been diagnosed with some diseases and has uh, acquired MRSA and had to have an emergency surgery. And so she said, she, she's like, I know you're probably one of those praying people, so if you want to pray for my sister, you can do that. So I said, you know, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. And so I finish up the haircut. I go to pay, and I reach, and I had forgotten my wallet. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Is there any way I can run home? I, I live right down the street. I'm, like, giving her my address, you know. <laughs> like, I, I live right down the street. Can I go get my wallet and come back, and I'll pay for my haircut? She's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So I leave. I, I rush to the house, and, and my wife is so wise. I get to the house, and I, like, quickly tell her the story of what just happened, and she's like, you should write her a note and just let her know that you're serious when you say you're going to pray for her sister. And so I did. I sat down and I, I jotted down a note and I put it in an envelope and I grabbed my wallet and I went back and I walked into the barber shop and it was slammed. I mean, there's people everywhere and she's cutting someone's hair. And so I paid for my haircut and I, and I walked through, I like wove through, you know, the, the crowd of people and I get over to her chair I was like, hey, just want to let you know our debt's settled, right? I paid for my haircut, uh, but I also wanted to give you this. Like, here's just a note. Uh, you, can, you can pass along some of the info in there to your sister, but I, I want you to know I'm serious when I say I'm praying for you and I'm praying for Danielle. I'll, I'll tell you, man, next thing I, I knew, we were in a full-on embrace. And she's like hugging me and telling me thank you. And that, to me, just was a, a very vivid reminder that God is in control. We only need to be faithful. And I walked out of that, that barber shop, and my, my first thing I needed to do was to confess to God that I didn't want to go for all the wrong reasons. And then I just praised him on the way back home for how he is beginning to work in the life of someone who thinks that they hate him 
He's beginning to work in the life of someone who desperately needs to hear that our God is gracious and he's compassionate and he loves her. And I get the amazing opportunity to do that over and over and over again in Portland, Oregon. And I tell you that story as hopefully an encouragement to you. As we worship here this morning, as we're getting ready to leave and go grab lunch wherever and start our week, be encouraged. Know that God is at work. He is giving us his strength to do his calling. And he goes with you. He goes with you. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you so much for being a God who goes with us. Thank you for being a God who doesn't deal with us according to what our sin deserves, but who deals with us gently, who has shown us love and kindness even in the midst of our rebellion. Thank you for bringing salvation. Thank you for being a God who has lavished me with your love, the love of Jesus. And I pray that you would encourage us as we leave out this morning to be strong and courageous, trusting, knowing, rejoicing in the fact that you are with us every step of the way, that you own all things, and we have the most wonderful privilege to be called the children of the Most High King. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray.